Hi, y'all. This is Carrie D. from Coffee with Carrie. Welcome to Season 2 of Coffee with Carrie podcast. It's such a privilege to do this adventure we call homeschooling with you. Thank you for tuning in again and walking this homeschooling journey with us. If you're new to us, you can find us on Instagram at Coffee with Carrie Consultant or at our website, coffeewithcarrie.org. So stick around, pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up, and take a little coffee break with me. I think you'll be encouraged. When Abe Lincoln was asked how he learned so much without a formal education, he replied, All I learned, I learned from books. Over the years, overwhelmed moms have asked me, How do you know you're doing enough? Well, in our modern society, culture has trained us to believe that the more we do and the busier we are, the more successful we must be. So my usual response to their heartfelt questions stuns them and oftentimes causes them to shake their heads in disbelief. I tell them, honey, if all your family did today was read from the good book, the Bible, and read aloud from a good book, then you had a pretty good day. If as a family, you read from God's word, learn some important truths, and discuss how to apply these truths to your daily walk, your day is off to a great start. And if your family also has the chance to read a good book and engage in a conversation about lessons learned, values taught, and how you can use the new insights during the week, then you're having a really good day. And I'm also positive that while you were reading other important or interesting geographical, cultural, historical, scientific, artistic, or even musical concepts were learned too. You know, President Lincoln also stated, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given man. And President Theodore Roosevelt agreed saying, the knowledge of Bible is worth more than a college education. Now, don't get me wrong. Math and writing are important too. But in the grand scheme of things, I agree with Mr. Lincoln. Just about everything you need to learn can be learned from reading a good book and from reading the Bible. If you really want to simplify your homeschool and your family life, then stop believing more is better. Change your thinking to less is more and simple is always better. This paradox changed my life, my expectations, and my attitude. Think about it. Why did you decide to homeschool in the first place? Chances are you didn't agree with what was happening or what was being taught within the walls of the traditional brick and mortar classroom down the street. Yet many moms who bring their children home often model their homeschooling curriculum, routine, and schedules after the very model they disagreed with in the first place. Many new homeschooling moms try to do school at home instead of home educating their own. There's a huge difference between the two. True homeschooling comes with freedom and flexibility. It allows a family to educate their children in a way that meets their needs and fits their schedule. No two homeschooling families are alike, so my way of homeschooling will be and should be different than the way you homeschool. We can learn a lot from other homeschooling moms, and why reinvent the wheel if we don't have to? But you should never feel like your kids will only be successful if you homeschool like your friend down the street or if you use a state-approved curriculum. After many years of being on the homeschool crazy train, I've learned the importance of just keeping things simple. However, it took me a while to learn these important lessons. At the beginning of each school year, my plans for the year and for each child 
were usually uncomplicated. I listed out the main academic subjects we needed to cover along with the books, some curriculum or activities I would like them to do to meet these goals. And then it never fails. My simple plans slowly and innocently became very complicated. Before I realized, I had taken a very simple yet complete set of academic plans and turned them into one big, complicated, and unnecessary mess. No wonder my children were exhausted, I was frustrated, and my husband was confused. We were going in 5,000 different directions because I kept adding more and more stuff to learn and to do. Well, I finally had to change my way of thinking. More is not better. It's quite the opposite. In actuality, less is more and simple is always better. I had to truly try this new perspective out and see if it was true. So I committed myself and my family to one year of only doing morning devotions, family read aloud, some daily math activities, nature walks, and music lessons. For one year, we stripped away all of the box curriculum, all the outside academic classes, and all the state standards. I asked the kids what they wanted to learn that year, what they wanted to do as a family, and what they wanted to do in their free time. I don't know why their answers surprised me and captivated me, but they did. Their ideas and ambitions far exceeded mine. They included things I would never have dreamt of adding or even attempting. Their expectations of themselves and of our homeschooling were far better than mine. So after much prayer, chewing on my husband's suggestions, and listening to my kids' input, my list of supplies for that year included just a few things. We dusted off my favorite children's Bible, laminated our library cards, purchased a few simple math workbooks from Costco, found a few journaling notebooks, created a list of free days at our local museums, invested in a new pair of walking shoes for all of us, put the tub of Legos in a prominent spot, and collected a bunch of arts and crafts materials from the dollar store. That year, we started each day with our soul food time, that's what I called it, which included our breakfast and daily devotions. I told the kids I was feeding their hearts, minds, and tummies all at the same time. Then the kids went off to create. My daughter got busy with the arts and crafts supplies, and my son dove into the containers of Legos. My daughter needed to create before concentrating on math, and my son needed to get his wiggles out before working on his reading. Our academic time started with read aloud from either a chapter book, a historical fiction, or a biography, and then we spent time playing a few fun math games. I think I might have played Dogopoly and Sequence Dice 5,000 times that year. Okay, so this is a hyperbole, but not by much. After that, my daughter did a few pages in her Costco math workbook while my son played outside. Depending on the day, we would do some nature, music, or art studies. Some days we would go for a walk and attempt to do some nature studies, or we would visit a museum. On other days, we would listen to the life of a composer and draw while listening to his music. Or we would read about an artist, look at his or her work, and then try to draw something similar. Then we would spend the rest of the day in unstructured playtime. We would spend it outside exploring, hanging out with friends, reading quietly in our rooms, or cooking in the kitchen. Since we had so much free time, my children had time in the afternoons for the things they loved, like dance classes or music lessons, theater rehearsals, and baseball practices. We weren't rushed or hurried. Ironically, they wrote more that year than the years we had a formal writing program. 
My daughter loved to write in her journal and to create lists. And my son was always writing some kind of business plan for the next way he was going to make money. They always had thank you notes to write, invitations to create, and birthday cards to make. I learned that year that less really was more, and that simple was really easier. We had more fun that year, and we enjoyed one another's company even more. During the wonder years, which is kindergarten through fifth grade, students learning at home really don't need complicated curriculums and overwhelming programs. If you found something that works for you and your family, then by all means, keep using it until you find that maybe it doesn't work anymore. But for those of you who are tired, overwhelmed, and overworked, try planning less instead of more. Always plan to start your day with morning devotions. If nothing else gets done that day because the baby is screaming, or the dog is vomiting, or the toilet is overflowing, or math is frustrating, it's okay. Because God promises Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added. A formal reading program is not really necessary during the early years. Read aloud to your youngsters. As you read to them, they will learn to appreciate good stories, powerful vocabulary, and intricate patterns in the English language. When they're curious about letters and words, then play some fun word and spelling games. Use your library card. It's really the only reading program you need during the wonder years. Fill your home with shelves and baskets of books. Reading aloud truly is the best reading program. Now, during the wonder years, simplify your writing program too. The best writing curriculum is reading and discussing good books. The best writers are avid readers. When the kids are young, ask them to tell you about the book or the chapter that they're reading. Engage in conversations about books and about the characters and their choices. Ask open-ended questions like, if you wrote this book, what would you, or how would you end the story? If you could write a sequel, what would you include? If you could be like anyone in the book, who would it be? Or if you could visit anywhere mentioned in the story, where would it be? By asking these kinds of questions, you're encouraging your child to begin brainstorming and organizing their own original stories. When your child has an idea for a story, whether it's real or silly, ask her to tell you the story or to narrate it to you. Narration is actually her first draft. It may not be written on paper yet, but it's still the beginnings of a plot line for an original story. When she's older or if she thinks faster than she can write or that she can type, then encourage her to dictate her story right into the computer. It's amazing what Siri can do these days. As a family, Write in journals each day. Find a website or a book that includes age-appropriate writing prompts. Each day or once a week, read a writing prompt and have everyone, including yourself, write for a few minutes. Younger ones can draw their ideas. Then go around the table and let everyone share their musings. I often found my son, who hates to write, would write pages and pages when I gave him a simple idea to write about, or if I also wrote my stories right next to him. He couldn't wait to hear my thoughts, too. Add word and spelling games. Incorporate copywork into your Bible memorization. Memorize and write out favorite Bible verses, famous quotes, and inspirational sayings. Find a reason each week to write a card or a letter. Grandmas love getting thank you cards, friends love getting homemade birthday cards, and relatives love getting handwritten letters. Writing in the younger years doesn't have to be formal paragraphs and research papers. Don't feel pressured to make your child write perfect paragraphs every week. 
there is time for more formal writing programs when they're in middle and high school. Less is more can be applied to math during the wonder years too. Many math curriculums model their scope and sequence according to national and state standards. Now, while these are great guides, they usually set overly ambitious expectations on our kids. When it comes to mathematical skills and concepts that are necessary to learn during the K through seventh grade years, textbooks and publishing companies tend to overemphasize the wrong things. Although it may seem like I'm oversimplifying what needs to be learned at each grade level, teaching math during the wonder years really isn't rocket science. If you have ever really studied a traditional math textbook, you'll notice the repetition. Since math is about mastery, consider digging deep each year into one or two mathematical concepts and skills so your student really understands them and can apply them well. Moving too fast will only cause much confusion in the middle grades and then feelings of failure in high school. And there's no need to complicate your math time with expensive and boring textbooks. My own children didn't use a formal math program until about fifth or sixth grade. Instead, we use colorful, simple, and inexpensive math workbooks purchased from Costco or an office supply store. When your child is in kindergarten, they should focus on recognizing numbers and shapes and being able to count. Connecting abstract symbols to the actual number value is quite an advanced skill. So spend time counting with real objects. Give them real opportunities to use numbers. Practice writing numbers and connecting them to what, is, what it represents. Look for shapes in your home, in your neighborhood, and on signs. Build with blocks so they also build their spatial problem-solving skills. And that's it. In kindergarten, count, cook, measure, play games, and read lots of picture books about numbers. When your child is in first and second grade, concentrate on learning and mastering addition and subtraction. Teach them these skills together since subtraction is just the inverse of addition. If your child understands 3 plus 5 will always equal 8, then when she's asked what's 8 minus 5, she'll instinctively know it's always 3. And try to use real-world applications for addition and subtraction as much as you can. Use real money and coins as often as you can. Kids learn how to add multi-digit numbers much faster when it's related to money. They also understand regrouping, or that's borrowing for you old-timers like me, much better when subtracting with real money. Besides, it's a real skill they need to master as adults, so why not make it part of your math curriculum from the beginning? Try to memorize those pesky addition and subtraction facts, but do it with games, songs, and catchy mnemonics. Some days, do a few pages of a colorful addition or subtraction workbook or print up some free worksheets from the internet. And on other days, play some fun math games. One day a week, set up a make-believe restaurant. Have your child create a menu and assign the prices. He can go around taking everyone's order, adding up the bill, collecting money, whether it's real or fake, and giving change. My kids loved doing this, and I loved all the writing, reading, and math they were doing in the process. Don't be afraid to add or subtract really big numbers, too. Trust me, they can handle it. And again, that's it. In first and second grade, add, subtract, cook, measure, play games, and read lots of picture books about adding and subtracting. The Pigs Will Be Pig picture book series by Amy Axelrod are some of our favorite math picture books. Now, once your child enters third and fourth grade, all you really need to focus on is multiplication and division. Again, don't teach multiplication without division since they are the inverse of each other. Like addition facts, multiplication and division sets always go together. So help them see that three groups of five, which is three times five, is always 15. 
So if 15 cookies are shared between five friends, then each friend will get three cookies because 15 divided by five is always three. The sooner they understand this relationship, the faster they will learn their facts and remember. Like addition and subtraction, try to use real world applications with multiplication and division. Encourage your child to start his own business. Sell lemonade, make scarves, bake cupcakes, walk the neighborhood dogs. When starting their own businesses, they'll quickly see the need for computational skills. Include comparative shopping in your multiplication and division scope and sequence too. Have your child help you figure out which sale price is better deal while shopping. In third and fourth grade, immerse your child in all things related to multiplication and division, which also includes perimeter, area, and volume. Attempt to teach your fourth grader long division, but don't fret if it doesn't master it. In today's technological age, long division is easier done with a calculator. And admit it, you grab a calculator when you need to divide large numbers, or you just estimate. So once again, that's it. In third and fourth grade, multiply, divide, cook, double recipes, play some games, start a business, and read lots of picture books about multiplication and division. Some of our favorite math picture books are written by Marilyn Burns. And yes, even when your child is in fifth or even sixth grade, you still don't need a formal math program. You can still keep it simple. In fifth and sixth grade, spend these two years mastering fractions, decimals, and percents. And if we're honest, these are the three math skills we use almost on a daily basis. We use them when we're cooking, when we're shopping, when we're baking, when we're investing, when saving, and when paying the bills. They're also the foundation of algebraic reasoning. If a student doesn't understand how to add one half to two thirds, how in the world will he ever understand how to add a negative one half to a negative two thirds? You're not wasting your time by devoting as much time as you have or what's needed to truly understand fractions, decimals, and percents, and making sure your child can successfully compute with them. And like everything else, try to use as many real world application as possible when adding fractions, using decimals, and applying percentages. When you were in school, how many times did you ask your math teacher, when will I ever use this? Your student won't see math as useless if he's encouraged to apply it in everyday situations. While in fifth and sixth grade, help your student understand fraction place value and fractional notation. Many students don't understand thirds, fourths, and eighths. The symbols, the fraction symbols, can be very confusing. However, if you tell your child he can only have one slice of pizza, but he can choose if the pizza is cut into thirds, fourths, and eighths, he'll quickly realize thirds is the way to go. One slice of pizza out of three is going to be much bigger than one slice of pizza out of eight. So instead of investing in an expensive math curriculum in fifth and sixth grade, Use your budgeted money to purchase manipulatives that will help teach your student to visualize fractions and decimals. A box of base 10 blocks and real money are by far the best ways to teach decimal place value and computational skills. And my favorite fraction manipulatives are fraction circles, pattern blocks, and Cuisinaire rods. They help students visualize fractions in multiple ways. One half is always one half, right? Well, not really. It depends on the unit being cut into half. Would you rather have a half of a dollar or a half of a hundred dollars? Would you rather have half of a cupcake or half of a cake? It's all relative with fractions. 
So using different manipulatives of varying shapes and sizes will help your students ask critical questions and apply good problem-solving skills with relation to fractions, decimals, and percents. And help your student master adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing, comparing, and ordering fractions as well as decimals. Spend these two years exploring fractions, decimals, and percents and understanding why the computation procedures work. This way, when they forget the steps, they can at least mentally estimate a reasonable answer based on their fractional number sense. When learning fractions, decimals, and percents, you don't need a fancy curriculum. All you really need to do is cook, half recipes, work with money, play lots of fractional games, experiment with manipulatives, and read lots of picture books about fractions and decimals. You'll be amazed at how many there are in your local library. My favorites are the Hershey Fraction Book, Fraction Fun, and M&M Math. There's something about food and money that helps students really understand and appreciate fractions and decimals. Now, once your student is middle school age, then a formal math curriculum is helpful. When your student is in seventh and eighth grade, focus on those pre-algebraic skills like positive and negative numbers, simple equations with variables, some geometry formulas, exponents, and order of operations. Daily practice is necessary, but don't feel like your student has to do every problem on every page. Remember, Less is more. If he can successfully find the area of a circle and the volume of a geometric cone 15 times, he probably can do it another 25 times. So at this stage of the game, doing math every day is helpful. Skills build on each other and can quickly get complicated, so use your freedom of homeschooling to go at your student's pace. Spend more time on equations if he needs it, but skip the chapter on absolute value if he masters it in one day and incorporate calculators at this stage if you haven't already. In this day and age, it's just as important that your student can correctly use a calculator as it is to make correct change. The calculator is only as smart as the person who's punching in the numbers. The calculator will also help the student who never quite mastered his multiplication facts. When using a calculator in high school, he can focus more on the complicated processes while letting the calculator do the simple stuff. Still try to incorporate as many real-life applications when learning pre-algebra skills. Students understand positive and negative numbers more when in the context of debt and money earned. (laughs) There are also some great commercial games that help review integers and order of operations in a fun way. My favorites are the classic game of 24 and the new classic Absolute Zero card game. Now, during the high school years, you still do not need to complicate mathematics. There are so many wonderful online classes, internet resources, traditional textbooks with DVD instruction, and homeschool co-op classes to take. Remember, less is more, so don't give in to the temptation of cramming every lesson into every day. If your teen needs more time to grapple with a new algebraic or geometric concept, then slow down and let him work at his own pace. If it's in your budget, consider one-on-one tutoring if math is not your strength. If your teen has a natural aptitude for mathematics and dreams of being an engineer, a scientist, or a doctor, then include four or five years of math in his high school years. However, if math is not one of your teen's strengths, or she's going into a field that requires only basic math skills, consider only doing two or three years of math in high school. This way, she can take her time. She can spend two years completing Algebra 1 or Algebra 2 while really learning to understand it. Remember, less is more even in the area of mathematics. Try not to let math get to you or frustrate your child. Don't push. 
Some kids were designed by God to have an analytical mind, and some were designed to be more creative. If your child is not getting a new concept, no matter how many times you explain it or how many times she tries to do it, he just may not be mentally ready to understand that particular skill. Don't beat your head against a wall or ruin your relationship with your child over long division. Don't view the breakdown or frustration as an interruption. View it as God's new plans for your day. Take a break from that mathematical concept for a few days or even a few weeks. Just like adults, kids need time to chew on a new concept. You might find that after a month of not drilling common denominators, your son finally gets it a few weeks later after a break from his fraction worksheets. Don't take a complete break from math. Just take a break from the concepts that are causing the problems. Instead of drilling ratios and proportions, spend a few weeks reviewing skills he's already mastered. This will give your child a sense of accomplishment instead of him constantly feeling like a math failure. Instead of doing extra worksheets on multi-digit multiplication, Spend a few weeks playing math games to review math facts in a fun and engaging way. The beauty of homeschooling is the freedom and flexibility to learn as a family. The one-room schoolhouse concept is one of the easiest ways to incorporate this less is more and simple is better way of thinking. Do it while teaching the humanities too. When homeschooling, especially during the wonder years, there really is no need to use formal social studies, history, or science textbooks. Pick one or two areas of science to dig into each year and learn the topics together as a family. As a family, pick one historical area and delve deep into that time period. As Charlotte Mason recommended, use living books to teach the humanities. Use biographies, nonfiction books, and classic novels to learn about a time period or a particular culture. Use picture books, encyclopedias, and biographies to learn about a particular area in science. If you're required to follow state standards, you can use the list of state standards as a guide to help you decide which history topics and science areas you'll learn that year. If you're not required to follow the state standards, then let your interest and your child's fascinations guide you in developing your humanities scope and sequence plan for the year. Now, every family is different and every family has their own homeschooling style, but may I humbly suggest you incorporate nature studies as often as you can. In our homeschooling adventure, nature studies were always a big part of our journey. Even if you're not a Charlotte Mason kind of a girl, nature studies can be the easiest, cheapest, and best way to study science each and every year. Nature studies do not need to be fancy either. Actually, when it comes to nature studies, less is more and simple is always better. You could literally spend a whole year studying, observing, and learning about the native plants and animals right there in your own backyard and neighborhood. With the abundance of wildlife and God's creation, you really don't need a formal science class or curriculum until your children hit the high school years. You can easily use nature studies every year for science. Actually, we even use nature studies for our high school biology studies. The possibilities are endless. God's creation abounds with creativity and wonder. So don't abandon the less is more mentality and the one-room schoolhouse when your teen enters high school. You can still learn history, science, and the humanities as a family, even when your teen is in high school. For example, when your teen is learning American government, well, as a family, you can also learn about the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Electoral College, and the lawmaking process. As your teen is learning about a new concept, not only is he writing papers about it and reading primary documents on his own, but he can teach what he's learning to the rest of the family. 
Using this simple approach, you're no longer the main teacher, but your teen, who's quickly becoming an expert on American politics and the American dream, is now the primary teacher. The key point to remember is no matter which approach you use, it doesn't have to be expensive or complicated. Jesus taught the most important lessons in the simplest of ways. He simply shared his heart. He asked questions. He expounded on God's word. He taught through example. He used the world around him to teach important life lessons. He valued, loved, and nurtured his disciples. Yes, in today's day and age, we do have great resources available to us. And if some of them make your life easier and help calm your self-doubt, then use them. But you can also successfully homeschool using this less is more attitude. Friend, you and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, including homeschooling. Thank you for hanging out with us and for joining me for this little coffee break. I hope you enjoyed listening to chapter 12, Less is More, in my new book, Just Breathe and Take a Sip of Coffee, Homeschool and Step with God. If you would like to read this chapter in its entirety or read the entire book, you can purchase it on Amazon. If this is your first time joining us, you can find us at our website, coffeewithcarry.org. We also have daily devotions and homeschooling tips at our Instagram account, coffeewithcarry. If you heard something you liked, then share our podcast with a friend who might need a little encouragement this week, or with a homeschooling friend who's looking for ways to simplify their homeschooling next year. If you haven't already, we would love for you to subscribe to Coffee with Carrie podcast, and then take a few minutes to leave a little review. Thank you in advance for listening to us each week and for sharing our podcast, our book, and our homeschooling mom ministry with your friends. We are so very honored and grateful. It's our prayer that our website, our podcast, and our new book will help you homeschool one step at a time, one day at a time, and one cup of coffee at a time. We're praying for you. Stay healthy. God bless. And see you next time.